share. Pro-cast. Hello and welcome to the very first TechShare Procast, powered by AbilityNet. The future of accessibility and inclusive design is right here. I'm Stephen Scott from RNIB. And I'm Robin Christofferson of AbilityNet. Good to uh, be with you again, Robin. Hello, how are you? I am really, really well, Stephen. Thanks. We are so excited about TechShare Pro coming up, and we have lots to talk about. Uh, tell us, first of all, your thoughts and your hopes for the upcoming event. Well, they have been stunning events. There's, you know, going for several years now. There's so much to cover. We will try and do our best to give you the, the feelings, the what's really going to be hot from TechShare Pro this year. And we'll discuss that in a moment. But for me, I think AI. AI is going to be a really hot theme. Mm, indeed. And the Procast itself, a birth of a brand new podcast here, uh, powered by AbilityNet, uh, a major event here and a great opportunity to, of course, talk about the future of all of this technology and, of course, inclusive design, which is a massive part of what uh, this year's event is all about, isn't it? Absolutely. Now, tickets are sold out, guys. Apologies. You know, that's it. Um, We're full. There is actually a waiting list, which you may or may not want to get onto just in case people aren't able to come on the day but uh, we are going to be here delivering for you a lot of what's hot in the upcoming event which we will actually be giving sneak previews about in advance but also we will be live at the event recording lots of audio lots of interviews the highlights from the event that we will bring you in a post TechShare Pro cast as well Oh, it's going to be so good, isn't it? Uh, we're going to get all the TechShare Pro news right here on the Procast. Uh, let's bring in the man who knows all about it, the guy who makes it all happen. Uh, he is Mark Walker from AbilityNet. Hello to you, Mark. Hi there. How are you doing? Good. Listen, it's great to have you here on the very first TechShare Procast. Uh, I want to get you on because uh, you are here to tell us about the history of TechShare Pro, as Robin said at the top. You know, this has been going on for a number of years now. What makes TechShare Pro so popular today? Uh, well, I think um, uh, what we're hitting is a, is, is a wave of interest in, in accessibility, in inclusion, in diversity, and in general. And uh, what what do we? This is we're in the third year of TechShare Pro. TechShare is actually something that RNIB has been developing uh, as a global. Uh, you know, footprint in lots of other ways. But the pro bit that we've been working on uh, uh, in the last three years has been focused very much on the people who were building and delivering digital services and products and very much looking at how they embed best practice into their day-to-day work so that we help make the digital world more accessible for all. Um, So the the broad theme is where are we going in terms of digital and and, uh, disability and inclusion and accessibility? And then the nuts and bolts, if you like, is what are we going to do about it so that we get there Um, in terms of digital teams, um, people with all sorts of roles of gatekeepers on projects and programs, project managers. So the pro bit, those are the pros we're focusing on, the digital community who make the stuff that we that we consume across our, you know, across our daily lives. Absolutely. So that's pretty much you've summarised who it's for. That's certainly a good cross section of the, the people that will be attending the event. Um, if you had to say who the content that we're going to be providing in this podcast and stay subscribed, guys, so that you make sure that you get all the content as it comes. Um, who could this podcast be for, which is going to be delivering the the meat, the gems, the um, the lowdown from the event itself? So just in terms of history, we started off with a, uh, a about a three quarters of a day with 100 people in the room. Last year, we got a whole day with 180 people in the room. This year, it's two days with 250 people in the room. So the scope of what we're covering has grown enormously. If I tell you about who's sponsoring and supporting the event, you'll begin to get a sense of the, of the scale of what we're trying to do. Um, so as well as AbilityNet, we have Google and RNIB delivering the event overall as, as, as gold partners. So Google is hosting the event this year, um, and uh, they see that as part of their sort of global uh, picture of, of promoting inclusive design. The other partners on board are Barclays, um, Crawford Technologies, Lenovo, Microsoft and Sony. So that gives you some sense of uh, the sort of global picture again that we're trying to bring in the different tech interests. And then we've got supporters like the IAAP, the International Association of Accessibility Professionals. We've got Scope, the largest pan-disability uh, charity in the UK. Um, Uber, 
uh, providing some content. Um, Jardu, uh, their spacecraft, uh, they provide all sorts of CMS and, uh, and support to uh, uh, organisations and everyone can, which is one of our winners of our Tech for Good Awards who do a, uh, an accessible gaming um, a pop-up. Um, so uh, just an in- incredible range of things you can imagine that those people are bringing to the party gives you a sense of what people are going to learn. Um, the, the themes probably explore it a bit further as well. So there are two days. The first day is all about leadership, accessibility leadership. Um, what do you need to do to move the dial in your organisation? What do you need to do to make the change, to win the case, to uh, get people bought into the idea that this is a, this is a key area of change in your organisation? Um, and on the second day, what does that change look like? So a bit more practical, a bit more workshoppy, a bit more hands-on. Um, we've got some sessions. I think one of the ones I'm really looking forward to is... Uh, how to build an accessibility champions network in your organisation. Uh, we've also got some stuff about accessible gaming and the how-to of how to build accessible games. We've got some stuff about accessibility testing, some of the practical lessons about how to do testing at the right part of your project. Um, and and sort of j- joining it all together, we've just got some amazing people speaking. So the accessibility leadership session includes the head of accessibility for Apple, the head of accessibility for Google, the head of accessibility for Microsoft globally, all three of those. So just an incredible range of expertise and knowledge that we're drawing upon. That sounds absolutely fantastic. And we've actually got um, sneak previews. We've managed to catch up with a number of people from those organisations. And we're going to be listening to some clips of larger interviews that we've had with them that we're bringing to you even before the event has started. One person, Caroline Casey, who is keynoting the event, we aren't going to be bringing to you. So I think we absolutely should talk about her now, Mark. So do you want to tell people about Caroline and what she's going to bring to the party? This is a great example of where the um, where we've moved beyond the nuts and bolts of digital accessibility, where we may at one point have been thinking about, you know, how do you make an accessible date picker? How do you do the tech stuff? Caroline's coming in from way outside that picture. She's uh, leading a campaign called Valuable 500. It's a global campaign uh, kicked off with support from Unilever to put disability on the agenda of um, the, the, of the top 500 companies in the world. So to get them committing to discussing disability at the top table and implementing change in their organisation to ensure inclusion across the piece, not just in terms of digital, but across the whole of the culture change that that would require. So big picture, really inspiring. Um, if you aren't able to come, then check out her TED Talk. It's, it's fantastic. Um, what she's going to be telling us um, at the event is, you know, updating us on the programme she's been working on. They, they launched it at Davos at the beginning of this year, telling us more about who's already signed up and, uh, and their progress. But the other thing we're going to get from it, I think, is that real inspiration as to what the changes that we're trying to see. What, you know, what is it we're trying to do in the world to make the world a better place? Um, she's great for that. She's really inspiring. Um, and an amazing speaker so it's gonna i think that one's just gonna set us all off for the rest of the two days in terms of really you know more power to our elbow and really getting us motivated to learn and share and 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 and, uh, pass on knowledge between the community that's attending the event okay but hang on guys i know you've got a lot of exciting stuff going on at texture pro this year uh and we are of course i'm going to have lots of tasty morsels for you uh ahead of the event but i want to pin you both on one thing that you are really looking forward to taking away from this event someone that you are going to hear from or something that you think we are going to learn as a result of being at TechShare Pro. So Robin, first to you. I'm going to take that literally. I'm going to, it's at a swanky Google head office. And so don't, nobody listen to this, but I'm going to take away some sort of Google hardware. <laughs> I'm going to wow. swipe myself a right. Pixel 4. I don't know. So yeah, I, um, I'm just really... And a prison <laughs> sentence as well. <laughs> nobody was listening. You'll be fine. Um, so yeah, I'm the one thing I'm really excited about is meeting people that are inspirational and you know a lot of the the panels and the general theme about from the event will be diversity and how important that is and many of the speakers there and the experts on the panels etc have disabilities themselves. Yep. So it's going to be brilliant, educational and inspiring. 
I think it's I, I, there are there are examples I can pick out of the program, but I'm genuinely interested in seeing who turns up and meeting them and engaging with them. And I, I feel like we're building a community. This is probably the best place in the UK to pull together that community. That, you know, there are lots of people interested in this topic, um, but we're really pulling together some amazing people from the UK. But but the thing we're really doing differently that we didn't do last year, I think, is the international flavour. We've got people coming in. The opening panel includes speakers from the US, Israel, Europe and Norway talking about the legal um, carrots and sticks and, and a global perspective on which is more valuable, a carrot or a stick. So that gives you a taste of just one of the sessions uh, and how big the picture is that we're painting for people. Um, and then, you know, the, the people in the room are they're there because they're converted to this cause. We're, we're, we're pulling our people together and we're um, giving them a, a chance to connect with each other and inspire one another and build um, sort of new ideas and, 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 and connections which they can take away and do more good. So I, I think the community and the, and the people in the room, I'm really looking forward to that buzz. I know that we're going to all take that away, a real sense of purpose and renewal of interest in this area. So that's a big thing for me. Well, look, before Robin gets the morsels out of the oven for us all to enjoy, you're going to hang around, Mark, aren't you? You're going to come back a bit later and give us some more information before the end of the podcast. So we look forward to hearing more from you later, Mark Walker. Thank you. Great. Thank you very much. Okay, Robin, let's get our morsels out on the table, shall we, and uh, measure up here. Uh, we, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think this is saucy for a tech show, but actually, that's a good segue because Mark was discussing a potential secret source that Microsoft have that have helped them with a real laser focus on leadership and accessibility. He was talking to Jenny Leigh Flurry, their chief accessibility officer, who will be providing a video presentation at the event. He asks Jenny, what is the secret source? I never think it's one thing. Um, Microsoft's been in the accessibility gig since the 90s. Uh, Sticky Keys was 94 for those uh, that remember or still have that gorgeous pop-up that comes up. Um, I mean, it's been going a long time and that's actually when our employee group started as well. Our first group was in the 90s, um, Blind Group, ADD, uh, Huddle, which is our deaf community, and uh, Parents of Kids with Autism were our first groups. So there was this technical strand and there was also uh, a people strand, an employee strand. And I would say, you know, clearly in that time, the people community has just gone from strength to strength. Um, I, it's amazing to look at that. Ten years I started our internal conference, uh, the Ability Summit. It'll hit its uh, 10th anniversary next year. I had 20 people in the room 10 years ago, and there were 2,500 at that thing this year. Um, so that's very humbling to see how that's grown. Technology Strand has had, you know, I would never claim that we've been perfect in that complete two decades. Um, we've definitely learned a few tricks. I do think the combination now is working really well because uh, when I had the chance to move into this role four years ago, I brought the two together very, very consciously. And some of that's because I was the chair of the ERG. Um, but it was also very much a customer-centric approach to accessibility. How could I really lean into the expertise that we have in the company. You know, we, we have vast expertise, learn from that, get feedback from that, um, and then make sure that that actually directs and focuses our efforts on accessibility um, from a more technical and engineering perspective, whether that's digital or physical, right? And both are in the remit. So I think our approach right now is, is really, if there's any secret source that we have, it's that it's, it's very people-focused, um, very customer-focused, um, and very customer-prioritized, um, far more than it ever was. Um, I do remember times where there was a lot of, why should we do this, or what's the ROI, which is always a terrible place to go. Um, you know, that's a trap, by the way. Get out of it really fast, because that's not the promise and potential with accessibility. It's about how you can design for all. Um, through the lens of disability and create way better innovations. Um, so, you know, I think there's definitely uh, some scenarios where you've been in the why. We're not there now. We're just not there at all. And uh, it's, 
yeah, the, the leadership um, is phenomenal. You know, the CEO was actually the sponsor of the ERG before he became uh, CEO. That spread. Uh, the leadership are deeply committed. There's no question of why should we do this. It's more of a question of how and what and you know, the hours that we have in the day and what can we get done in them. Um, and uh, you know, where, where the people element really and the expertise from people comes in is helping us to make sure that we do the right things in the right order. Um, because there's always far more. There's, accessibility is immature, right? There's, there's so much beauty in it, but it's immature. There is a long way to go. There's some brilliant things out there. Um, you know, stuff that we've done, but stuff in the industry, there's some brilliant things out there. But there's way more ahead of us than there is behind us. So um, it is about making sure that we're going to deliver products, environments, services that are going to help um, and accelerate that. Really interesting. I thought that the key takeaways for me there, Stephen, are that, you know, it's a killer combination that Microsoft have got there. They've got a really diverse workforce that they have harnessed. They've brought together all the different uh, disability groups uh, into the ERG she mentioned there that's their employee resource group so they've brought them all together and joined up thinking is really important and that group can now input into all of Microsoft's products their processes that sort of thing and that's absolutely what accessibility leadership is about and that's what a main theme of that panel I'm sure is going to be about leveraging your employees and the other side of it that she mentioned this killer combo the second element is creating the right tools. And Microsoft have absolutely done that over recent years as well. The right tools internally to help build the right products for external use by customers. So yeah, I think that's brilliant. It is. But then she talks about not uh, focusing on ROI, return of investment. And I'm not sure I would necessarily agree with that. I mean, I get the carrot and stick approach and I understand all that. But at the same time, if businesses don't make money on it, uh, and as in, you know, they don't see the, the, the value, financial value. Why would they do it? It's okay for Microsoft, but... Absolutely. I was really, yeah, Microsoft, you know, I was really interested by that as well. And I think it's because she's saying, look, people, people are what matters. And we'll hear that a little bit later on when we talk to Paul uh, Smith of Barclays. But yeah, so I think it's because she wants it all to be about the customers, all about the people, internal and external. And, you know, maybe... She's tried to go down the business case route before and not got the same leverage internally. I don't know. Microsoft are, you know, definitely a different organization than they were five, 10 years ago. Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, we know about the Purple Pound, don't we? And yeah. it's going to be one of the topic uh, sessions uh, at the event at TSP. So absolutely, massively important, but, but really interesting. Now, Mark then asked Jenny about what the impact of the mainstreaming of accessibility into devices, et cetera, might be having on the industry? It's the promise of inclusive design. If you look at the adaptive controller, the Xbox adaptive controller, that's absolutely the just a beautiful example of inclusive design. It, it's when you take a, and I remember that those those guys coming into the hackathon tent, which is my sweet, like favorite week of the year. Um, and they came in uh, with a, a charity, um, with a, a veteran, um, who had his rig that he'd, he'd custom built, but it was dodgy because it was custom built. Um, and, and that is his source of therapy, his source of fun. Um, I mean, to say it mattered would be like the understatement of the year. Um, and our job was really to lean into what he needed to learn from that and to build, and not just the product, but the packaging that went with it. Um, you know, we ditched the plastic clamshell and the blood-sweating, you know, horrible packaging for something that was one ring-finger pull, all because we lent into him. Then another set of NGOs and charities expanded it even further. Uh, special effect here um, as one. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's really the promise. 
So there you go. Uh, accessible, inclusive design just makes products better for everybody. So that was uh, that accessible controller uh, designed for a disabled veteran, but actually loved by able gamers. It's a really, really popular product for mainstream gamers. Uh, it just means that they can up their high scores. They can just perform better with it. So that's a really good example, a very tangible example of how inclusive design is actually just good design. I've been saying to customers for years on radio and on podcast and more recently on television that this approach is so important. Businesses have to think about everybody, not just disabled people. Yes, of course, the the products have to be accessible, and that's the key point, but they can be accessible to everyone. I mean, look at what Microsoft has done through ease of access settings, whether it be large text, for example, or high contrast, or even if you look outside of ease of access, dark mode that's been put into all of the computers nowadays, and phones as well. These settings can help everybody, and that's the key point, making it mainstream, it can help everybody and therefore make your product more available to more people. Absolutely. Apple have upped the accessibility settings out. They've taken it out of general in iOS, put it on the main screen. And that's a reflection, like you say, of the fact that everybody should be seriously considering customising, optimising their devices. Um, We're all different. You know, you shouldn't take something off the shelf and just accept all its default settings. That's just, you know, that doesn't make sense. And when you're designing products, you need to build in those changes, those settings, and make sure that what you provide out of the box is going to be as inclusive as possible. And any changes they make on top of that need to both be possible and also they need to be available in the broadest sense so that people who need to go that extra mile, like me as a blind screen reader user, for example, and you as a half uh, magnification, half... Uh, speech user as well. Half, you know, half man, half computer, it. yes. <laughs> half, yeah, half man, <laughs> half uh, Superman. So yeah, um, really, really good. So if you want to hear more from Jenny, then in the feed later on this week, we will drop the full interview. It's around half an hour. Much, much more goodness in there. It's really well worth a listen. So watch this space for that coming up in the feed. So now we move on to hear from Paul Smith of Barclays. He is head of digital accessibility for the whole of Barclays. He is on the Building an Effective Accessibility Champions Network. So that panel is definitely one to watch out for. And I asked him about doing accessibility the Barclays way. We've seen certainly over the past year, I think about we as Barclays, you know, we've been involved in a sort of valuable 500 campaign about this sort of disability inclusion revolution, putting disability right at the top of your sort of group board, committing to it, it's about being serious, committed, and it brings a multitude of benefits. So, you know, I speak to lots of businesses um, daily who are waking up to the fact of this. So whether it's because new laws dictate you have to do something. So, you know, I, I think we're now starting to see when i think about accessibility leadership um come back to the start there's almost sort of two tiers there's kind of organizations that are quite new to this and are asking the basic questions about where do i start how do i get an expert what are the things they should focus on how do i do reasonable adjustments to staff and then there's the more sophisticated organizations um you know who are looking how do we build kind of champions um in this space how do we go beyond the kind of legal minimum around checklists um that we're, we're kind of that we failed and more about customers that were failing, you know, and, and all sorts of things about baking into everything we change or build or buy, you know, our processes and not just, you know, bolting things on in terms Absolutely. of new services or features that we offer to some customers, but actually for everyone. I mean, absolutely. So you're right. There's, you know, different organizations are on different um, stages of this ongoing journey. And it's never, you know, you never get to the final destination. It's always something that you need to work on. And, you know, you've been championing accessibility within Barclays for many years now. And as a result, um, I'm assuming you've been instrumental in this because it takes an awful lot of effort. You know, Barclays don't push anything live without having factored in accessibility, you know, prioritised it at the core of everything that you do. And as a result, you've just got better products that are more inclusive, you know, for a really diverse audience, as you mentioned before, but it can't have been easy. And one thing that um, 
I usually touch upon is that, you know, an accessibility champion, however potent and however good their superhero powers are, um, you know, it's not enough. You need to have an accessibility champion in each department. You need to have an accessibility champion in each team. Each member of that team also needs to own inclusion as well. So how much of a challenge making this like an ongoing process that that sticks has that been for you? Yeah, I, I mean, I think you're right that it's a real uphill battle you know when you're working at a large corporate and there's a whole bunch of other priorities and, and regulations going on and I sort of think back to me me, me, me and my um, vision impairment right and disability I guess it teaches us to be very resilient and resourceful and I think that kind of comes through actually leading accessibility and some of those kind of attributes and traits you know that the superpowers kind of really help because I think um, you're certainly right Robin that sort of making sure that everyone um, understands what accessibility is and, and plays their part. You know, this isn't an us and them that we have an accessibility person and they're the only one that worries about and does anything around accessibility. It's really sort of shifting that culture that this isn't a sort of um, a legal have to, but it's a kind of commercial and moral want to. And I know Barclays shifting our, our culture, we've often talked about these kind of free... Um, free kind of pronged approach that we need to um again sort of really build empathy and compassion if we've got offshore teams building stuff they might not always see the the barclays uh, customers walking through our bank branches say and the fact they do come in different shapes and sizes so we need to sort of inspire hearts so mm. the you know the wow moments that we get things right the pain points that we don't we need to kind of educate heads about all the lovely um, accessibility kind of courses, resources out there so that people know how to consider and deliver accessibility, mm -hmm. inclusive design. Um, and then we need to kind of um, enable hands, i.e. very practical tools for the job, what they can actually apply in their day jobs, what they need to kind of think about and, uh, and, and do differently. So I think there's something about just raising the bar around culture, around accessibility and that kind of not legal have to do but commercial more want to do is, is is really key and and not just having one champion or one accessibility lead but a, again lots of senior leaders who will understand this who are all visible and vocal in saying that you know this isn't just lip service but it's really important i think for barclays we've um you know got a public statement intent about being the most accessible footsie company full stop which is great mm. kind of linked to our values about how you know um creating some opportunities for customers clients colleagues to kind of rise um but you know a, a, again it's it, it's it's a very um long-term challenge to make sure that we weave this into the dna of the organization so again it's not just this low-hanging fruit of doing a pet project over here certain pockets of disability community but actually how do we apply this to everything all our products and services and you can imagine you know it takes a little bit more time because it's a little bit more um a little bit more challenging yeah, and I, I love that. Um, well, you, you're just so good at getting the message across that triumvirate of heads, heart and hands. And, you know, what that means in a, in reality for, you know, an organisation and for every employee, every member of that team. And, you know, the passion that you have, I'm sure, has played a big part in really shifting the needle. So the key takeaway there was that, yeah, it's all about people, not checklists. And I think that speaks to Jenny's point as well. You know, it's the ROI. It's about numbers and stuff, but let, let's make it about people. I think that's what she was saying, too. And then I asked him as well about what he thinks increasingly built in mainstreaming of accessibility, of inclusive design that we were talking about earlier is having on the landscape. You mentioned earlier on about how accessibility or inclusion is being baked in into almost every product these days. And it's absolutely the case. You know, Apple, I would probably argue, has kind of led the way and, mm -hmm. you know, brought everyone along with it. And that, I don't know about you, but that really strengthens the argument to say, look, you, you know, you can't turn around without seeing accessibility in front of you everywhere these days. And, you know, if the, the big names in tech and digital are taking it this seriously, then us as a digital organisation absolutely need to, too, to make sure that our products and services are fit for purpose going forward in like a digital first platform agnostic, you know, um, proliferation of tech world that we're that we're definitely living in. 
Yeah, I, I, you know, I think Apple and, and others, you know, Microsoft have really stepped up Absolutely. efforts. And I think that sort of um, rising tide lifts all ships yep. is, is, is really valid point, right, Robin, that, that, that there's a lot of um, organizations out there that are really differentiating their services when they double down in accessibility and a lot of other businesses kind of um, standing, you know, watching that thinking, cripes, you know, how, how do I do that too? Um, you know, which is why it's so such an important time to, you know, get involved in the accessibility community and accessibility profession to professionalise that. Mm-hmm. So, of course, lots of what we're doing with um, where it's the Business Disability Forum and sort of new benchmarking tools so that at an organisational level you can look at here's the sorts of things that being awesome accessibility you need to focus on and then which few things do, do you focus on over the next few months. So, you know, there's some great new resources at an organisation level. I and mean, of course, for individuals, for accessibility experts, um, you know, I think events like TechShare Pro are so important that people can come along and learn, share, grow from others. And we know that, you know, Barclays and Ability Net, our, our relationship goes back, you know, a, a decade in terms of yeah. working with external experts who really know their stuff around disability, meandered needs, preferences, abilities of folks. Folks, um, and also International Association of Accessibility Professionals. So, how do we kind of build the, um, you know, certification is, is is a bit of a fluffy word, but for me, it's sort of building the textbook that an accessibility expert would need to know, and the kind of test and title that they have. As more and more organisations are looking externally and saying, you know, crikey, we, we we need to get an accessibility expert in here to help us with this, uh, you know, to help us with our, our digital presence to be more accessible. So, yeah, there's, the, you know, there's a number of um, of moving parts of this, but it goes back to that it's, it's kind of never been in my mind, you know, such a fab time to be involved in accessibility and inclusive design. So basically what Paul Smith is saying there from Barclays is if you don't get on the accessibility train, you're going to be left behind. Absolutely. Don't stand by and watch other organisations accelerate past you. And, you know, it is a very competitive environment now. It's brilliant that all of these organisations are vying to be leaders in this space of accessibility and digital inclusion and diversity more broadly. You know, we've got the valuable 500. We've got people wanting to, you know, be disability confident employers, etc. Um, yeah, it's a really sexy space to be in at the moment. And if you kind of don't get with the programme, then you're going to be left behind. So, yeah, Barclays, brilliant example of how to really um, invest in doing things properly. And another company that is doing the same uh, in terms of investment in accessibility is Google. Yes, absolutely. Our Annie Mannion has had a quick chat with Chris Patno, who is an accessibility expert at Google, uh, talking about the many accessibility related projects that they have been involved in over recent months and that they're going to be talking about at TechShare Pro. So Sound Amplifier is an Android app built for accessibility, um, all, of our, all of our accessibility tools are free, so this is one of them. And it helps people with, with these Android devices boost important sound and filter out background noises using their Android phones. So it can help you in a noisy room, for example. Um, users can customize frequencies to amplify certain important sounds, like the voices of people that you're with, or the voices of a speaker at a lecture, and, and, and filter out background noises. Um, what's exciting is this, in the past year, we released a second version which we find to be much more intuitive and easier to use. Fantastic. And I understand that Live Transcribe has also um, added two new features recently, sound event detection and save transcriptions. Could you describe how these work? Yeah, so, so Live Transcribe is probably one of our most popular uh, new applications. We've released it in the past year. And the, the goal of it is to provide the option for someone who is deaf or hard of hearing to have a good sense of what's being said. And so what'll happen is the phone will take the voice that's being spoken and will provide a transcription of it right in front of you. It supports 70 different languages. And if you don't want to talk back or if you're not able to to talk back, you can even partake in a conversation by typing a response back. So it's it's not really the replacement of an an interpreter, but it's, it's, it's a good next best thing. So that's the core of the product. The things that we've added in this most recent update is the ability to, to save a, a transcript. So you can take the conversation like a school lecture and, and, and save it out, take it out, and you can start to work with it. 
the thing that's and that's a, a pretty focused use case. But the thing that most people really be able to appreciate is, in addition to transcribing speech, is you can see like when a dog is barking or when someone's knocking at the door. They're called sound events, and you can see these sound events, and they're the little dots, the little squares at the bottom of the screen in different colors so you can recognize them and it tells you when it's applause or there's music in the background or, or clapping or laughter and um, it, these things are important to understand sort of what's happening in the world around you. Definitely yeah and um, something that we've been um, reading about is Project Euphonia and it has a great story behind how it came into fruition. Can you share what this is and how it came about? Yeah, this this is a really exciting piece of research. Um, it was invented by a man named by, by a man named Dmitry Konevsky. And Dmitry went deaf at one years old, and he was raised in Russia. So he learned English by reading it written phonetically. So his spoken pattern of English is, is not typical. Sometimes it'll be high, it'll be low. So it's this combination of deaf and Russian accents, and it's sometimes a little difficult to understand at first. So. Him being a researcher in speech, um, we created a model that allows him to be understood very clearly just by, record, by recording his voice using different expressions. The team recorded his voice and trained this model on it, and now we can understand him as well as someone who's worked with him for a long time, sometimes better than me even. <laughs> um, the, the neat thing about this is, even though we designed this for him, the core technology of Project Euphonia can, be, can help anyone who, who has... Uh, non-typical speech patterns. Um, so one of the things we're trying to do by talking about this is to have more people contribute examples of a speech, and that will allow us to create a model that works for more than one, more than many. Eventually, we're going to create a, a model that it works for everyone or, or, or nearly everyone. We don't want to have to have different models. We want to have our standard model be good for everyone. And what's cool about this is we can even start expanding it in, into non into non-speech patterns. So say, for example, there's a person with, with ALS. They can make utterances or even physical, physical um, expressions of their face. By understanding these utterances, we allow the, the technology to trigger something, so, or like a word, or even one of my favorite clips is that the, uh, there's a fellow watching a sports game and is able to trigger uh, the sound of, of a horn because he's excited about what happened to the game. So here's someone who can contribute in real time to the excitement of what's happening within, us, within the game. It sounds like what Chris Patner was saying there, Robin, is that it really is the time that tech giants are taking accessibility seriously, everyone getting on board, which is fantastic. Now, I know there's a longer interview going to drop onto the TechShare Procast feed soon. Um, what else is uh, Chris talking about? Yeah, so he covered three products or projects that they've been working on in the accessibility space since the last TechShare Pro. And yeah, the fuller interview covers other things, Accessibility Scanner, which is an app that people can use to test the accessibility of apps in Android, for example. And there's also a font, which they've been working on that they released for Google Docs and more broadly, uh, which will optimise legibility. He says that it's not a dyslexic font. It's just better for everyone, but it is, it kind of is. But yeah, really, really good. So listen to the fuller interview. Fascinating stuff. Okay, so what's next? What, what else have we got to uh, whet people's appetite for the upcoming TechShare Pro event? Our Annie Mannion has had a quick chat with George Rhodes, who is now with the Home Office. But over the summer, before he joined them, he was very, very busy reviewing hundreds and hundreds of public sector websites because of the legislation that we now know is well and truly in effect. Originally, this started out as a question for myself, uh, really to sort of see where we were at with accessibility statements across the UK, um, because I was, I was involved in my previous role with trying to support many of the local authorities in Kent in preparing for the new regulations. I had some time on my hands and wanted to sort of see where everyone else was getting to uh, across the UK. So I had a few uh, initial questions that I wanted to answer. Um, how many statements are out there? What different approaches have been taken? Um, does the presence and quality of an accessibility statement correlate at all with a 
more accessible site. And also one of the things I did was map uh, where I found statements because I wanted to see if there were any geographical areas that um, sort of demonstrated hotspots for accessibility. And, and briefly, what were the actual findings? Um, some, some people that are listening to the podcast might not have um, read the blog yet. So if you could just share the, the kind of top line results. Mm-hmm. So I've, uh, I've recently just updated the results. So we've got a version two. Um, the original results, which were taken as a snapshot prior to the first deadline of the regulations, uh, so this work was completed over late August, early September. I looked at 601 public sector websites. Those covered all local government uh, in, in the UK, both county and sort of district slash borough level, uh, all police forces, fire and rescue services and universities in the UK. Uh, so out of those 601, we, uh, we only had 23 compliance statements. Um, which is less than 4%. Okay, so 4%, Robin. Hmm, <laughs> interesting number. So for people who aren't aware of what we're talking about here, this public sector regulation that has come into effect, 23rd of September, just gone, that was the end of the year of grace in which public sector organisations right across, you know, the NHS, um, health, higher education, uh, obviously all local and central government, needed to get that act together and make their websites compliant. There are some uh, exceptions, like if you've got a massive backlog or archive of PDFs, then you don't have to do them all in one go. You can prioritise and kind of eat the elephant just one little nibble at a time. But part of the requirement is having this accessibility statement. Uh, We all know about accessibility pages. It's usually linked to from the footer right at the bottom of a web page in tiny footer-sized font, which obviously isn't good signposting for the audience that you're catering for with that page. But this statement needs to be much more than that. It needs to clearly say, amongst other things, how compliant your website is. Now, if only 4% had an accessibility statement, the other 96% I can guarantee aren't compliant yet because the f- you can bet the first thing you'll do once you've reached compliance is shout about it of course in the you accessibility would. statement. Yeah, and there's no guarantee that the other 4% that do have an, a page up there, um, some of those might say, well, we're working towards it or whatever. In fact, I can guarantee it. So that gives you a really good flavour of the level of compliance that out, that's out there in the public sector. And guess what? The public sector is often better than the corporate sector that have kind of more singing, all singing, all dancing pages, etc. So yeah, it's pretty desperate out there, guys. And that's why it's really important that we prioritise digital inclusion. Now, the fuller interview that's going to drop in the feed has a second lot of, uh, he, he revisited all those pages, all those websites, and he did even more. The total now is 1,441 And guess what the new percentage figure is for overall compliance? Well, I'm not going to tell you, but guess what? It's not 100%. Mm, It's not even 10. But we do find out in the podcast that's coming, don't we? Absolutely. Oh, that's good. Okay, well, we can can hear that number, but yes, (laughs) it's not going to be 100%, guys. Sorry. Uh, Okay, what's next, Robin? Well, I spoke to our accessibility consultant, Abby James, about these new regulations and how important it is that public sector websites need to get on board. Now, you're going to be on the one of the expert panels that's going to be about <sighs> regulation to do with accessibility. No, actually, it's going to be super engaging for um, some really good reasons. Yeah. Do you want to tell us about what you're going to bring to this panel? I'm really looking forward to being part of this panel just to be in the room because we've got some great experts people from local government universities um, from the corporate sector as well we're going to be talking about public sector regulations web accessibility regulations as you say the law you know sometimes hits your head against the brick wall when you try and read these regulations Um, people thinking oh well we don't want compliance culture etc but we have a great opportunity at the moment because for the first time um, in the UK and actually across Europe, we have uh, laws that require certain organisations, just the public sector at the moment, to 
comply with web accessibility standards or work towards those standards. But also really, really critical is they've got to put that information on their websites and say what they're doing about accessibility and how they're going to help their users. So actually, yes, it's boring law stuff, but from the perspective of an assistive technology user like myself, like you, we first time ever we can go to a website, go to our local council, go to our schools, go to our universities, go to our hospitals, look on a particular page and go, actually, I'm going to have a problem with trying to access the information. But look, there's an email address. There's a person I can contact and they can give me help because that's what's part of all these regulations for the first time. Um, organizations have to think about their accessibility, say how they comply, say how they will help people who have difficulties. And then there is that bit of that stick as well of actually, if you do have problems, who to go to in the government and, and get support, make a complaint, and potentially we've got a route to make sure that those organizations do comply with these regulations going forward. Absolutely. And yeah, whilst, you know, legislation isn't necessarily kind of a super interesting topic, it's to date, you know, it's been a, a limp twig at best rather than a big knobbly stick, which would complement the very juicy carrots that we talk about as well. And I'm really hoping it's going to shift the needle. And we're actually seeing that, aren't we, in the public sector. There is actually an impact already, you know, two decades after Arguably, you know, the legislation to do with website accessibility has come into effect. We're actually now seeing a shift in the landscape because of this very legislation. And yeah, it's just we're now having those conversations. People are actually starting to go to their senior managers, they're going to their chairs, they're going to their boards and saying, we've got to take accessibility seriously. This is why. And also, like we'll hopefully have in the room um, at, during the panel, we'll have people who are willing and able to share their practice and share their questions, share their experience. We've got to learn from each other. My comment, I will make it anytime I talk about accessibility, is that it's a journey. It's never complete because technology changes, let alone, you know, getting all those ticks in that compliance standards. It's always going to change. It's always something you've got to be striving to do better at. And these regulations are part of getting people to be open about their accessibility and open about what they can and can't do are starting those conversations which is great so there you go i told you it wasn't boring um i think well, you what did we talked about, <laughs> i think what we talked about there which is having a clear channel by which to complain and having a named body in the form of the ehrc to complain to and who actually have the ultimate responsibility to start enforcing this we actually might see some change we might see a shift in the landscape Stephen um, well, that, that would be we good. so desperately need yeah, absolutely definitely uh, okay let's change tack shall we we started off by talking about the games controller from Microsoft the Xbox adaptive controller but now we're talking about composing music absolutely so I spoke to Simon Chu of Digit Music he was a tech for good award winner or they were back in the summer and he's going to be at uh, TechShare Pro uh, showing a really amazing controller. So we talked about the um, game controller right at the beginning and we're getting our hands on some kit again at the end here. It's an adaptive controller to help people with disabilities compose fantastic music. Let's talk about Control One. Okay, great. Yeah, thank you. So Control One is um, an adapted wheelchair controller. Um, and we have adapted it to um, be used as a musical instrument. Um, so you're able to play a number of instruments with it or you're able to um, actually kind of compose and produce using it um, dependent on the kind of uh, the, the setup that you have. We're currently using um, it alongside a really popular piece of software called Ableton. Um, so we've developed a number of sort of um, setups within Ableton that allow the controllers to kind of bring out the best um, and, and be set up and differentiated for the different needs of all of the users. But the main aim for this really Really, I've, I've worked with um, young people with disabilities for a number of years um, on a project called the Able Orchestra, which aims to put them at the forefront of the compositional process and, and really kind of um, give them some creative control over, over what they're creating and what they're playing. And I just noticed a, a need for a new type of controller while working with them, one that captured all the muscle memory mm -hmm. that they've built up from using a wheelchair controller, you know, every, all day, every day to explore the world. Um, and it just occurred to me, why are we not using 
um, all of this muscle memory and familiarity to allow them to to explore music. That's such a brilliant idea, and it's a no-brainer. It's like all the good ideas, they're pretty obvious, aren't they, when kind of somebody <laughs> yeah. comes up with it. They're yeah. used to controlling their wheelchair, and why not use that to be creative and make music? Thanks, Sai. So can we play out with some music? Yes, we can. This is um, a piece from Jess Fisher, um, who was kind of one of the, the first young people using Control One device, and this is her piece of music called Time Stood Still. really groovy tech man groovy tech to help (laughs) disabled people become pop stars so yeah full interview dropping in the feed later this week we are all looking forward to TechShare Pro. It is going to be a great event. Uh, Mark Walker back with us here on the ProCast. And uh, Mark, I think it's a great opportunity for people to just get together and share experience and knowledge, isn't it? I think so. You know, we've got, um, we've got this event has grown so quickly over the last three years. We're tapping into an area of increased sort of interest from so many different corners of the digital community. Um, but this is a place to get together and to find out who's interested and to, to talk to people who share your interest, but maybe come from a completely different background in terms of technical knowledge or interest um, and, and take something away that um, is not just about the knowledge and, uh, and skills that you may gather, but also new people to connect with. You know, I can see all sorts of opportunities for networking. We're creating social events to enable people to, to, to meet up and, and get to know one another just as much as sitting back and listening to inspiring speakers. So I think that sense of community is what is really going to be exciting about it. And um, we're going to do everything we can to share the knowledge and the skills that we gather, you know, this podcast is clearly a big part of that for us. This is new. We want to begin to to be able to put it out and join the community conversation uh, with the with the sorts of interviews and, and, and resources we're going to pull together after the event. Uh, the same about blogs and other content that we're going to publish. Um, because I really do think we're going to be getting some nuggets in there that we wouldn't get any other way. If we didn't get people in a room and get them talking to one another, then you know we wouldn't have the chance to learn so much from one another. So that I think that really gives you a sense of what we're trying to achieve here. And um, for those that can't make it, we're bigger and better next year, hopefully. But equally, keep your eye out on all the channels that we that we usually share information through, because that's a real purpose, social purpose for us to share this and make sure you get hold of the knowledge and, and um, inspiring stories that we're going to hear. Robin, it is going to be an amazing event. I am sure everyone can keep up to date here on the brand new TechShare Procast, powered by AbilityNet. This is the place to get all of the very latest on what's going on at TechShare Pro. And, uh, you know, the podcast doesn't stop here, does it? There's lots more still to come even before the event. That's right. So we've mentioned earlier that the full versions of all of those interviews are going to drop in the feed We're going to trickle them in over the next week, guys. And then, of course, there's the event itself on the 20th and 21st of November, after which we will be coming back to you with another full episode and followed by some full-length interviews after that as well. So watch this space. Basically, you're not going to miss out if you stay tuned to the broadcast and aren't able to get to the event. You're not going to miss anything. We'll bring it all to you. Okay, so what's next in the queue on the podcast then? What can people expect, Robin? Yeah, so in a few days, guys, the full Jenny Lay Flurry, Chief Accessibility Officer at Microsoft, that interview will land in the feed. 35 odd minutes long, that is, guys. So that's a really wow. in depth, good interview. Check that one out. And then obviously, we'll have Paul Smith after that, and they'll just keep coming. So yeah, check that out, guys. And then obviously, after the event, another show and some more full length interviews. Follow us with the hashtag TechSharePro2019 as well. Uh, if you've got any comments or if you want to you know, join the conversation, please do. I'm Stephen Scott from RNIB. He is Robin Christofferson from AbilityNet. We are so looking forward to being back with you at TechSharePro in 2019. And don't forget to subscribe and listen and keep listening to the all-new TechShare Procast, powered by AbilityNet. Thanks, Robin. Thanks a lot.